he is above every other. His name is above every other because he is above every other. And uh, that's the God we serve. Amazing God, way maker, miracle worker. Man, I love that. I love to sing praises to God. I can't imagine what the music's going to be like in heaven. But it's going to be like that, I think, you know. <laughs> Probably better even. It's hard to believe it could be better than that. But it's going to be awesome. This morning, as we think about the names of God again, we think about two more. We're going to talk about two more and discover two more names of God. Over the last eight weeks that we've been talking about these names, you've discovered 16 names of God. I was talking to a guy after the 8 o'clock service this morning. And he said, since we've been doing this study, I've been looking up all these different names of God. And he said, there are tons and tons of names of God. I said, yeah, there's some 360-something names of God. So, so we've only done 16. So we got like years to go before we finish this series. No, we're going to finish this actually next Sunday. We're going to culminate this whole thing in one name next Sunday that sort of encompasses all these ideas that we've been talking about. But I hope, like this man I was talking to, I hope you're doing further study. I hope that's encouraging you to consider the detail of God's character because all these names reveal different parts of his character, different attributes of who God is. And this morning, I'm thinking about personal transformation. I'm thinking about how knowing the names of God changes us. And so over the last eight weeks, as you think about the things you've learned about God and his character, what's changed about your life? What's changed about your heart? Maybe your trust has been affected, your love has been affected, your courage perhaps has been affected in some way. Are you seeing a change in your life? Are you seeing transformation happen in your personal life, life change? Maybe that's something you ought to share about as you sit around lunch table today. Talk about that with your family. How are you guys seeing me change? You, you might not want to hear that answer, but it would be a good thing to ask. How are the people that are closest to you, are they seeing a difference in your life? Because knowing God better should result in some kind of action. Daniel says this in Daniel chapter 11, it's part of verse 32. It says this, but the people who know their God, and it's Elohim, powerful, supreme, and sovereign, the people who know their God will be strong and take action. Some translations say we'll stand firm and take action. So knowing God results in action in our lives. That's what Daniel said. And the reason that the word but is in that part of the verse is because right before that, if you go back and look at what he says in chapter 11 of Daniel, he's talking about all the evil that's going on in the world at the time that he makes this prophecy. It's future, but he's talking about the evil that will happen. And then he contrasts the people who know their God away from the evil people. He says, yeah, these evil people are doing all these terrible things, but in contrast to who they are and what they're doing, but the people of God, the people who know their God, will stand firm or be strong and take action. So I'm wondering in our lives if that's been true for you. Are you taking some kind of new action in your life because of what you're learning about God? And I, I think about what we're going through as a country right now. I can't help but apply it to where we are because What's happening in our country affects all of us. We don't live in a big city. I realize that. There's not rioting and looting, looting here, and I'm thankful for that. It's when I'm really glad to live in a small town, you know, when crazy stuff like that happens. But I've been listening the last few weeks because I know God wants me to respond as his follower. He wants you to respond. What is our response supposed to be? Maybe it's some people that I know have put very eloquent responses to what's going on on social media, and they've done a great job. They've said it really, really, really well, but the point is, it doesn't matter what you put on social media, someone will misunderstand it. I said something in the first service. Someone corrected me. So the point is, some of us are a little afraid to even weigh in because we think whatever I say is probably going to be misunderstood and it will be inadequate. Yet the people who know their God 
stand firm and take action. So I'll tell you what God's leading me to do in my life related to what's going on right now in our country. God's leading me to be a little more intentional in my personal communication with people that I know who are black, people of color. I said people of color in the eight o'clock service and someone corrected me and said they're black people. Okay, I get it. You can't, I grew up at a time where if you said black people, that was offensive. So it changes. The point is this, what I wanna say to my friends who are not the same color as me, regardless of what color they are, I wanna say that I'm sorry if you've ever experienced in micro or macro any kind of racism against you. Because since I met Jesus, I have not tolerated racism in my own heart in any form. I've had people at church before, not here, but other churches I've served at, I've had people try to tell me a racial joke at church. And as soon as I knew what it was, I'd say, no, 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 stop, stop that. I'm not listening to that. Because God loves every single person. And what I want to say to my friends who are not the same color as me is I want to say to them, I'm sorry if anything like that has ever happened to you. I don't want that for you. And God doesn't want that for you. God places supreme value on your life. Your life has incredible value. And so for me, I want to do more. I want to I wanna take my understanding of God and I want it to translate into the things I do every day because God wants to make a difference in people's lives. And I, I wanna be a brighter light for Jesus in these times, don't you? I mean, I don't wanna be just silent and, and have that be interpreted as consent of something that's going on that I don't agree with, but I also don't necessarily wanna make a statement on social media and let that be the end of it. Because you know God personally. I know God personally. And I know that God loves people with a supreme love and a supreme value and I hope that those conversations can result in gospel conversations. Because many of the people we may talk to, you may talk to, they may not have any idea that they have value to God. That may not be the message they've heard from their understanding of God. But that's exactly what the Bible says. That's exactly what the gospel is, is that every single human has incredible value to God. So in the days ahead, that's what I wanna do because I wanna do exactly what Daniel said. I want my knowledge of God to result in action, not just to result in knowledge. So you know 16 names of God up to this point, if you've been here each week and you've been listening. And what does that result in? Just more knowledge? Well, if it does, you're missing the point. Because Daniel says, the more I understand God, the more it will, res will result in confident action in my life. I'll, I'll stand firm, I'll take action for him. And that's what the Lord wants for all of us. So this morning, we're gonna consider two more names. You're gonna make two more discoveries this morning. Maybe these are names you've heard, maybe they're not. And the first name is this, it's the name El Olam. Again, you may have never heard that name before, El Olam. The name is El from Elohim, which is powerful, supreme, and sovereign. And then the word Olam, which means everlasting or eternal. So it's God eternal or God the eternal. And, it, and it's different and unique in the sense that when we talked about a few weeks ago, the name Atik Yom, which is the name that we translate into ancient of days, relates to how God is before time, above time, after time, God created time, so he's not limited by time. But the idea of, of God being El Olam is the idea of God being everlasting, continual, permanent, perpetual, always, everlasting. That's the idea. And really what it communicates, it communicates the idea of immutability. Now that's a big word. Mutation means change, so immutability means God's inability to change. God stays the same. He's everlasting. He's eternal. That's what the name El Olam communicates. It's used 439 times in the Bible. 
And the first time that we see it is found in Genesis chapter 21. So if you have your Bible, you can turn over there. The context is this. Abraham uh, has been given some land by the king of Abimelech, the king of Gerar, and he has dug a well. And it's no small thing in his day and time to dig a well. And it was a significant thing because you need water. So he's dug a well, but at some point, Abimelech's servants have taken over the well. And he's not happy about it. And so he goes to Abimelech and he says, listen, your guys, they took over my well. I, we dug the well. It's our well, you know. So Abimelech's like, sorry, I didn't know that happened. That wasn't supposed to happen. I wasn't aware of this. So, you know, from now on, no question about it. It's your well. So they establish a covenant together and they call that place Beersheba, which means a well of seven, which because Abraham gave him seven lambs to commemorate that and to make their oath a pact, a covenant. And so it either means well of seven or well of oath, oaths. And so basically from then on, that well, according to, according to Abimelech, the king, is Abraham's well. And so at that point in chapter 21, verse 33, Abraham says, says this, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, Yahweh El Olam, God the Eternal. And Abraham lived as an alien in the land of the Philistines for many days. So this idea of God being unchanging comes about in Abraham's life when everything else about his life is changing. He's left his familiar homeland and he's moving to a place he's not even sure where he's going or how long it's going to take to get there. So everything in his world is sort of uncertain except God. And the very next chapter is when God asks him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And he's willing to do that. Why? Because he knows God as everlasting, as unchanging. Now, for those of us who know God and, and have been raised in church or raised with a Bible in our hand or in our room or somewhere and familiar with the teachings of the Bible, the idea that God is eternal is not a new idea to us. But for Abraham, remember, this is the book of Genesis. This is the book of beginnings. These are new ideas. And God has revealed himself through his interaction with Abraham to say not just to Abraham, but certainly to Abraham first, I'm eternal. I'm everlasting. I don't change. I'm permanent. I'm always, I'm continual. And that's a great thing to know. So maybe you've had this experience where you've been sharing your faith with someone and in the process of sharing your faith with them, you wanted to get them a Bible because you realized they didn't understand much about the Bible. Several years ago, I had a, a, a met a guy named Jesse at the gym. He interacted with me first actually, but I'd been praying for God to give me some opportunities to share my faith with people. And um, Jesse came up to me one day and began to talk to me. And he said, hey, can I work out? Can we work out together? I know we're always in here at the same time and Neither one of us are big, so it's not going to hurt if we work out together, right? We're not going to do any damage to each other. So, okay, great. So I said, sure, I welcome that. Actually, I've been praying about, you know, I didn't tell him this at the time. I've been praying that I would be able to have some relationships with some people and be able to talk about the Lord. So we're a couple days into this thing, and he, you know, what men always ask each other is, what do you do for a job? What do you do for a living, right? Well, he's a bartender, and I'm a pastor, and he doesn't know I'm a pastor. So he asked me, so I said, what do you do, Jesse? Oh, I'm a bartender in one of the local restaurants. He's telling me all about it and everything. And he says, what do you do? I love that moment. I said, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, he kind of took a step back. He was like, what have I gotten myself into? How do I get out of this situation? So anyway, I said, look, I'm not going to preach to you. I will talk to you about stuff I care about, but I'm not going to preach to you all the time. Don't worry about it. Okay, oh, that's cool. You know. So anyway, we kept working out together. And we did talk about the Lord. What I discovered about Jesse is what's almost always true is that God, I, God wasn't, had, he didn't have me there first. I wasn't the first person to interact with Jesse about the gospel. He already had people in his life. He had a brother, he has a brother that lives in Houston that loves the Lord, sold out for the Lord and been sharing Christ with him, but he's four hours away. 
And Jesse would rather be further away at that point in his life because he didn't want to hear it. You know, he's like, my brother preaches to me all the time. I mean, I said, is your brother like, is he, do you think he's a hypocrite? No, no, he's sincere. I think he's totally sincere, but it's just, that's not for me. That's for him. So, and, and it's for you. He says for you, you know, whatever, but it's not for me. So I said, well, Jesse, have you ever read the Bible? And he was like, no, not really. I have one somewhere. I don't know. I've never really read it. I said, can I get you a Bible? Yeah, I guess so. I said, so I went and got him a Bible the next day. I got done with the workout, walked out of the vehicle. I gave him the Bible I'd written in it. And I said, look, just start reading it. You know, now maybe you've had that experience where you've ministered to someone, you've wanted to reach out and help them. And you've, you've given them a Bible with great hopes that they would pick it up. And the, the words on the page would just leap off the page into their life. And they would be like, consume with what they were reading from the Bible. But often the experience is not that. And that, this is what's happened with Jesse. Jesse was like, uh, dude, I tried to read that, but I don't get it. You know, it's hard to understand. And I understand that because when I first started reading the Bible, it was difficult for me to understand. So it's a big leap to ask somebody who's never read a Bible to start reading the Bible. And I didn't just say, open it up, start reading. I gave him some places to read, but still it's a completely different culture. It's a a non- uh, mechanized, industrialized, you know, culture these people live in. They have different names. They have weird customs. They, it's totally unlike the culture that we live in in a lot of ways. And so often what I'll tell people, and what I told Jesse was, Jesse, the point of reading it is this. The point of reading it is to understand who God is. And as God interacted with Adam or Moses or, you know, whoever, Abraham, you get to know who God is. And here's why that's significant, because God doesn't change. So however God related to those people in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and all those other books of the Bible, that's still the same way he interacts with us today. So because he's El Olam, he's constantly the same, consistent. So as you read your Bible, yeah, it may be work to understand what's going on, but as you see God interact with people, just know he's the same God today. He'll be the same God forever, everlasting. So that's the significance of understanding and and reading the Bible and knowing what it means is is to get to know God and get to know who he is because he doesn't change and he will not change. So let me just tell you real quick the rest of Jesse's story. Jesse moved about a year later to Dallas to become a bartender at a big bar in Dallas. And he was real excited about that. Um, He had kind of quit reading his Bible because he'd given up on it or whatever. And I lost touch with him. And then about a couple of years later, I saw him on Facebook, realized now he's married. So I reached out to him. I said, Jesse, hey, what's going on with you? And, and he lives in Tyler now. And his life in the last two and a half years, between the time that I last talked to him, has totally changed. He's given his life to Christ. And so this is amazing. So recently, when all the COVID stuff broke out, Jesse was in nursing school when he was here. But he had some stuff in his past that, that was going to prevent him from being able to complete all that. And so he kind of was given up on that. Well, since that, he had met the Lord, met his wife, gotten married. They have a little child together. Um, He loves the Lord. He's sold out for the Lord. And I saw that he was in Brooklyn during all the COVID stuff. And I said, what are you doing in Brooklyn? And he said, well, there's a ministry up here that uh, is a nonprofit that's helping take care of people uh, who are struggling with COVID and all that. He's in New York. I mean, you know, the, the crux of all this stuff. And volunteers to go up there and spend his time to help people. He's a nurse now. And so he's volunteering his time. And I said, Jesse, it just warms my heart to know that you're serving the Lord and being willing to even go into an environment like that that's dangerous to serve the Lord. And he goes, hey, you know that Bible you gave me? I said, yeah. He goes, he he took a picture of it and showed it to me. He's like, I read it every day. It's worn out, you know. (laughs) He goes, I read it every day. 
Now that's awesome, isn't it? That's what God can do in people's lives. I, want, I didn't tell the rest of the story in the eight o'clock service. I realized I didn't finish that story. But it's a true story because, because God is the same. God continues to interact with people the same way. And, and what happened in Jesse's life, if you don't know the Lord, that's what he wants to happen in your life. He wants to completely change you. And I'll tell you more about that in just a minute at the end of the service. Um, in, in James 1.17, it says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So God's consistent. He's always the same. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, said this, he, God, exists forever, and he's always the same. He does not grow older. His life does not wax or wane. He does not mature or develop. He does not get stronger or weaker or wiser. As time goes by, he cannot change for the better. His life does not change. His character does not change. His truth does not change. His ways do not change. His purposes do not change. And his son does not change. Hebrews says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Psalm 90, 1 and 2 says, Lord, and it's Elohim Yahweh, you've been our refuge in every generation before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from eternity to eternity, you were God, Elohim. So what, what does that mean, that God is unchanging? Well, there's, I think, at least three benefits that we derive from that. And one is relevance. We, we do read our Bibles and see that God is the same God. So when I read about what God did in the past and how he interacted with people, I can know that his character, his ways, his truth doesn't change. Like J.I. Packer said, they're the same. So I can count on that. So it, it it brings relevance into everything that I read when I read my Bible. The second thing is hope. Maybe you're going through a valley right now, struggle. Just the craziness in the world, the craziness we've been through in the last three months as a church, in the world, all this crazy, unprecedented stuff that we've been through. And it's easy when you look around to get down about that, to be discouraged about that. But when you know that God's the same, underneath all the craziness, there's this this foundation of hope, I think, that you have because you know that none of that affects God. None of that changes God. None of that in any way keeps him from being the God he is or prevents him from following through on his promises. So because he's always consistent, we can always have hope regardless of what we're going through. And then the third thing I think is just security. We live in a very insecure world. I mean, everything changes in our world. And we, the last couple of months ought to be proof of that. Things we thought we could count on, we can't necessarily count on. But we can count on God, always. And so even when things are very insecure around me, I can have that sense of security. Have you ever, have you ever had a boss that kind of changed the rules all the time on you? And you're like, I don't know what today holds, you know? Yesterday it was this, I don't know what it's going to be tomorrow. Or maybe you've actually even been in a relationship with somebody who isn't consistent. Don't look at your spouse right now. Don't look right now. Okay. They're inconsistent, and when you, when you have that inconsistency, you're not quite sure how to relate. You're not quite sure what you're supposed to do. With God, you never have to think about that. God is always consistent, every single time from now into eternity. And so that is the communication that he has with us of saying that he is, he is El Olam, the God who is eternal. And so because he's consistent, we can be strong. We can take action in tough times because we know who he is. The second name this morning, and so hold that thought because these two names come together. Hold that thought because the second name this morning is Yahweh Shema. Now, this is a name you may not have heard before, Yahweh Shema. It's found one place in your Bible, only in one verse. 
And that's the very last verse of the book of Ezekiel. Now, what Ezekiel and Daniel have in common is both of them wrote and God spoke through them during a time when they were exiled from Israel. So Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon, the, the leader of the known world, essentially, and he drives his forces into Israel, into Jerusalem, and they conquer. And they not only conquer, but they take out most of the Israelites and take them back to Babylon. And they destroy the city, they destroy the temple, they destroy everything in Jerusalem. And now these people that love God and used to could say, God's there, he's in the temple, that's where he is, that's where the manifestation of his presence is. Now they're living in a foreign country where they're not really allowed to even worship Yahweh. They're not supposed to. There's new gods, there's new customs, there's all this new stuff, and, and it's not their culture. And the reason that happened to them is because God wanted that to happen to them. You say, what? Because they were sinful. And though their position was still they were the people of God, their condition was all messed up because they were sinful. They were worshiping idols. And God was so patient with them and so patient with them. But finally he had enough. And he said, okay, the only way I'm going to get your attention is if I do something drastic in your life. And so he, he actually used Nebuchadnezzar to come in and conquer them and take them into captivity. And Daniel and Ezekiel are both part of that captivity. So five years into that captivity, Ezekiel begins to speak and Ezekiel's not a prophet. He says, I'm not a prophet. I'm not even the son of a prophet. I, I don't know how to do this. I've never done this before. And God says, I'm going to speak through you. <laughs> and he begins to speak through him. And Ezekiel, we probably don't, probably didn't have your quiet time in Ezekiel this morning. You know, it's not one of those books you read a lot. It probably still has gold on the side of your Bible there where it is because you don't usually frequent Ezekiel. It's kind of a strange book. There's a lot of apocalyptic literature there. It's symbolic and kind of hard to understand. So you probably don't go there. But there's a lot of great truths in the book of Ezekiel because what Ezekiel is doing is he's saying to these people who've been exiled, you're still not repentant. God did all this and brought all these consequences into your life to get you in your heart to turn around and go back to God. Now you aren't physically able to go back to Jerusalem right now, but in your heart you could return to the Lord fully and they, don't, they won't do it. All this bad stuff's happened to them because of their sin and they still won't repent. And so Years go by and God uses Ezekiel to communicate with them. And here's what you can take from that. Every time God sent the prophets, what he was saying to them is the most important thing between you and me is my relationship with you. And I will never, ever tolerate sin in our relationship together, ever. I will never look the other way. I will never wink at it. I will never act like it's not a big deal. It will always be offensive. It will always break our fellowship. It won't change your position, but it will affect your condition. So the same thing's true in our lives. Sometimes we think, well, you know, it's a little sin. What's a little sin? To God, what's a little sin? You know? To your kids, what's a little sin? To your spouse, what's a little sin? It's a sin. It's offensive. How much more to a perfect, holy God when you sin against God? And so God doesn't ignore sin. He makes us deal with it. And the only way to deal with sin is repentance. To turn your back on it, to walk away from it, to reject it and abandon it and say, I'm coming back to God. In my condition, I want to be in a close relationship with God. So several years ago, I heard Ed Young tell this story about a man who'd come to his church and uh, he, he waited till the services were over, you know, Second Baptist in Houston, that's where Ed's a pastor, he's been there forever, almost forever. And this young man waited a long time. And I've told this story before, but it really illustrates the point. He, he wanted to talk to Ed, he was just distraught. And he said, Dr. Young, I've been coming to this church for a long time, but the last few months, I am just not, I don't know what's going on, but I come to church and I sing and I pray, but the, the stuff just doesn't seem like it's getting past the ceiling. He said, I just not, I don't know what's going on with me. And so Dr. Young says, well, when did that start for you? And he said, well, I started, I had a girlfriend. I started dating this girl. I met her at a bar and 
um, you know, we, we started sleeping together and we started living together. And, and, and he said, that's really when things, I started feeling this distance from God. Okay. And, and so he began to describe that, you know, they lived together for a few months. And during that time, since that time, he just had felt the distance from God. And, and Dr. Young stopped and said, listen, because what the young man says, I can't find God. God's abandoned me. I can't find him anywhere. I don't feel him anymore. I don't know where he went. And Dr. Young looks at him and says, your problem is not that you can't find God. Your problem is that you can't escape God. God is on you all the time. And he's not going to give you joy in your life when you have known sin in your life. And he's not going to let you enjoy things that you normally enjoyed because you're not in a right condition with him. And you're sinning against him over and over and over again. And you're just thumbing your nose at God and acting like he should be okay with it. And you're coming to church and acting like everything's fine. Nobody does that, right? <laughs> yeah. And he, you said, that's why you, your problem is you can't find God? No, your problem is you can't escape him. He's here and he's convicting you. And if you know the Lord, he's going to convict you of sin in your life. He's not going to let you just wander away and not come after you because he loves you. If you don't know him and you, don't have any, you probably don't have any conviction, you may feel fine sinning against him. But once the Holy Spirit lives in you, he will make you feel guilty for the purpose of stopping you and turning you around so you come back. So that's what Ezekiel's saying. So in Ezekiel, the last chapter, last verse, 48:35 says this. The perimeter of the city, I should tell you this, that Ezekiel's basically describing when God restores Israel, when he restores, he gives them hope here, that one day he's going to restore Jerusalem, all that's going to be rebuilt and all these things. And he says, the perimeter of the city will be six miles, and the name of the city from that day on will be, the Lord is there, Yahweh Shema. That's the only place it's used in your Bible, that God is there. In other words, that God will be present. And that is what you need to know because these people felt like because they'd been exiled, they didn't know where the presence of the Lord was. They thought God was in Jerusalem, but the temple's torn down. So where's God now? They couldn't find God. The reality is God was with them, but ultimately was going to be with them again. And ultimately will be with them in the idea of, of God restoring them in, in the day of uh, when Jesus comes back someday. So A.W. Tozer has this great quote. He says this, did you ever stop to think that God is going to be as pleased to have you with him in heaven as you are to be there. Do you think of God like that? Do you think that God's excited actually for, to be with you? That he delights in being with you and that someday when this life on earth is over that he's going to not just tolerate you being in heaven? <laughs> Come on. Or do you see God as he is, a God who desires for you to be with him, actually wants you to be with him, will actually be glad because the Bible says he is glad to give us the kingdom. <laughs> That's who he is. He gladly, we sing about it, he gladly bore our sins. He wants to be with us. That's what the name Yahweh Shema communicates is that God ultimately will be with his people and he wants to be with his people. So he will be glad to welcome us into heaven. Is that the way you think of God? If it's not, change the way you think of God. Because that's what the Bible communicates through this name, is that God is actually excited to welcome us into his kingdom. A couple of chapters before, in Ezekiel 43, it says this. He said to me, son of man, he's talking about the temple and the restoration of the temple. This is the place of my throne and the place for the soles of my feet, where I will dwell among the Israelites forever. Yahweh Shema communicates the great love that God has for every one of us. That he would want to be with us, that he would desire to be with us and have us be in his presence. 
Zechariah 2.10 says this, Daughter Zion, shout for joy and be glad, for I'm coming to dwell among you. This is the Lord, Yahweh's declaration. So when you think about being in the Lord's presence, does that scare you or does that excite you? Will you be excited for that day? God can't wait to welcome his children home where we'll be with him forever. And the way these two names come together is this idea of God being the same always and always being in his presence. Completely consistent God. It's a beautiful thing. The psalmist says that in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. So I don't have to wait till I get to heaven to experience that. I can know that now. That's not a feeling. That's a fact. Do you, would you rather your life be full of joy or full of sorrow? <laughs> Most people want to be full of joy and they just go about it all the wrong way. The Bible says in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. You can enter into that right now. If you have a relationship with God, you can do that right now. And I would encourage you to take advantage of that access that you have to the throne of God and go sit before the Lord for hours. Take the time to do that. When do I have that kind of time? Make that kind of time. If you have that time for Netflix, you have that time for God, right? Just prioritize so that when you are ultimately physically in the presence of God, you're not standing before a stranger, but you're like, I'm home. I'm with the Lord and he wants me to be with him. Paul said this in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Is that an encouraging thought to you? I'm gonna always be with the Lord. The consistent God who never changes, who always loves me, who welcomes me, who can't wait to see me be with him in heaven someday. Ultimately, that's where I'm headed. Is that exciting to you or is that like, well, yeah, that's the old lyrics in the song, everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die, you know? That's sometimes our attitude, I think, is like, yeah, later on, after I get all the fun stuff done on earth, you know, then I'm going to go enjoy heaven, right? Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That was his attitude. And when you know God, that will be your attitude as well, because you'll think, what could be better than being in the presence of the Lord forever? I don't know anything that could be better than that. So I encourage you to think about what it means to be with the Lord, and you can't you can't have that sense of peace and that assurance unless you have a relationship with the Lord. And I realize that there may be someone here today or someone watching online who doesn't have a relationship with the Lord. You have a relationship with church or with Christianity as a movement, but you don't personally have a relationship with the Lord. And I want to let you know how to do that this morning. The gospel, the good news is that, yeah, all of us have sinned, every single one of us, but all of our sin can be forgiven. And Jesus actually died on the cross to pay for the penalty for your sin and the penalty for my sin. Now, you can pay for your sin forever if you want to. You don't want to. Trust me, you do not want to. But people choose that every day. But you can also put your trust in Jesus Christ and he'll pay for your sin. He's already paid for your sin. And he'll gladly apply that to your life and give you salvation. He'll forgive you for every sin you've ever said, done, or thought. And he'll make you right with God. He'll change your position. You'll become an adopted child of God forever. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes. And you guys that are watching online, the same thing. And if you would like to put your trust in Jesus Christ, then I would like to lead you through a time of simply calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. 
you do not want to face judgment on your own. Trust me. There's nothing worse than I can imagine. The Bible says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Well, you don't have to face God as the judge if Jesus is your Savior. He saves you from that. And today, if you'd like to put your trust in Jesus and begin a relationship with God that lasts forever, then I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up. Whether you're here in the room or online, I can't obviously see you if you're online, but just hold your hand up. It's just, it's just, it's a thank you. It's a step of saying, that's me. That's what I need this morning. Somebody else. I'm the only one looking around. If you're a believer right now, would you just pray for the people that are here, the people that are watching online? Thank you. You guys that have your hands up, I'm just going to lead you through a time of calling on the name of the Lord. And the thing is, God knows your heart. He's held Dea. He knows everything about you. He knows your motives. He knows your intentions. So he knows if you're sincere. So you could just, just say these words. It's, it's a sense, in a sense, it's a prayer, but it's, it's just exercising the faith that you have, that you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and you want him to save you. So just say this to the Lord, dear God in heaven, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I don't want sin anymore. I turn away from it. I want to be saved. I'm sorry for my sin. I want to be right with you, God, forever. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, to pay for my sin. Now help me to live in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, I pray.